Welcome to the SBS podcast sponsored by Zwift. It was famously used by Matt Heyman to prepare for his victory at Paris-Roubaix. You can use it too for your own goals. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. Hello and welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. I am Jamie Finch-Penninger and I am very lucky to be joined today by Anthony Tan and Rob Arnold. It's been a while since I saw you last, Rob. It's um, It's been a pity. We were just talking before. It's the summer of cycling that we last saw each other. Well, it could have been. It was a January now we're June and we're back in the studio in Sydney and it feels quite foreign. But we used to do it quite a bit so we could just sort of roll on as though we knew what we were doing. Yeah, yeah I mean that's the general idea. Anthony, how are you doing? Not too bad. Saw you last week. Yes, so we don't need to kind of recap of what happened between last week and this week. Nothing much happened in my life. (laughs) There's been a lot of racing. Indeed, and that's exactly what we're going to go on to talk about. Um, A little bit of politics, cycling politics. A bit of politics. Where should we start? Okay, we'll start since you brought up um, the politics. Um, Chris Froome appears that he will ride the Tour de France. Um, The UCI uh, aren't going to ban him, um, according to Le Partien and uh, ASO aren't going to ban him, according to Proudhon. Uh, both of them kind of shifting the blame, well, shifting the responsibility from it, from one to the other before the Tour de France, but it appears that Froome won't be banned by either at this the, stage. The ASO says the UCI, the UCI says the WADA, the WADA says take your time, and uh, we're in a, at risk of losing three Grand Tours in a row. Should it be that cynical? Like, he's got to win the third. He's got to win the Tour. Mm. Well, that's a that's a discussion in itself, which we'll be getting to in a moment, Anthony. However, if he if he um, are you saying he's going to be let off? No, I'm saying that he will he will be riding the tour under this current cloud of um, ah, yes. not, no decision having been made. Ah, okay. Well, that's status quo then, isn't yeah. it? So yeah. That's why I said nothing's changed between last <laughs> week and this. Actually, actually, nothing's changed between last year when that came out and now. No. And it's ridiculous. I wrote to UCI yesterday and just asked, why isn't there a time frame imposed on it? And the answer was, well, that's WADA's responsibility, which is what I mean by the UCI says, well, it's WADA. And then the WADA says, well, take your time. And then, and then we just all sit around, just sort of, and we find ourselves talking about that for the first time that we've spoken about cycling, you and I, in six months. And it's the first topic of conversation, and we're no clearer than we were six months ago when we sat in front of David Lepartian and said, what are you going to do? And he said at the time that we were hoping for an expedited process in um, getting everything sorted um, as we sat in front of the Hilton Hotel in, in Adelaide. I remember that well. Quite a day that was. Yeah. Um, mm. Anyway, let's move on to some current racing news and possibly positive racing news. Richie Port in yellow at the moment at the Tour de Suisse. Um, BMC looking strong in support of him in that ambition to uh, push for the top GC. Will he be doing the same at the Tour de France? I mean, I know what everyone in Australia wants to hear, Tanny. Are you going to be the naysayer on this or the... The ace uh, Well, I I think it's really hard. I think with Port has shown he's very capable in a one week race. I'm st- I think he's even said it himself. He still needs to prove himself across three weeks. I'm not saying that fifth in the 2016 tour was an aberration, but I think I I, I want to see. I, I think this is a really important tour for him to show that he's still got it. Uh, and it's uh, I've sort of put him down as one of 
five guys I think can can win the tour. So yeah, I'm I'm giving him a good shot. But yeah, I mean to say that say you know how Sky dominated the TTT at the Dauphiné and then BMC at Swiss. I don't think that really tells us anything. We knew they were the strongest uh, team time trial teams out there. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's shaping up well for July. I think that I've put him on the cover of the official Tour de France guide, which comes out on Monday, by the way. Uh, got that plug in, right? Moving right along. <laughs> uh, I've got Richie, um, you know, in my list, I've put him down as the winner, and I've put Garen Thomas as second. And then we actually did do a little bit of a predictions page in the Tour Guide this year, and there's um, a a lot more variety because people don't know how the Froome thing is going to play out. I think there's some people banking on him not being there and and that could still be the case. But either way, we're talking about Richie in Switzerland and he's doing very well and I think he's just basically pacing himself to July. And it's a similar format to what we saw in 2017 where he did well at the Dauphiné uh, in the lead-up to the Tour and I think he'll arrive ready and... Uh, ambitious and as for the three-week quandary we'll never know because it's let's remember he hasn't uh, led a Grand Tour except for 2010 when he made his debut in the Giro so that's quite a while ago and uh, he's had a lot of uh, experience since then and he looks like a completely different person (laughs) I making the tour guide I looked at some images going through the years of Richie Port and he is when you see him in the Saxo Bank colors it's a different person it's quite amazing the physical changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I was just going to go back to that predictions page of yours. Was there any uh, consensus or standout favourite from that? Yeah, I was the only one who put Michael Matthews for the green jersey, mm-hmm. and everyone else said uh, Peter Sagan. It's pretty obvious, but I was I put Michael Matthews on a little insert on the cover as well because, you know, it is the Australian edition. We are an Australian, uh, you know, magazine and Australian cycling media company. So I wanted to have that little bit of parochialism. But the one consensus is that Peter Sagan's going to stomp home, and if we can use Tour de Suisse as um, some sort of gauge, we can. It's interesting to see when Sagan's about. Matthews is there, and you know, it's a, it's an interesting mix. But we've also got Gavaria in the mix as well, so um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all unfolds. Yeah, well, we'll come back to Matthews in particular for green because that's a topic I do want to talk about. Um, but a bit more on Richie for yellow. I mean, it's obviously been a different season for him. Um, his climbing form has been a bit split up because he had a bit of sickness in February and March and obviously the birth of his child recently. Um, congratulations, obviously, to, to Gemma and Richie there. Um, but that's forced a different preparation. Normally you go to the Dauphiné this time, he's going to Swiss, which is a week later and a few stages longer. Um, he also wanted a bit of variety. I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and he was saying that the majority of the BMC team that's going to the Tour is the one that's at Tour de Suisse. Okay. Just well, um, that makes sense, sense, I suppose. For the record. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that would be unsurprising though, Rob, because, you know, generally the that core group does follow the leader at the in the important lead-up races. Probably, you know, still on Switzerland, but not at Swiss. For me, it was his, I think, third place overall at Romandie. That, for me, that was really important because of his, uh, the layoff that he, he had mm-hmm. early in the year. So if, if anyone needed a result there, that was, it was Richie Port. And I think from that, because he's, you know, they, they talk about sprinters riding on confidence, but... I think GC riders as much so. So um, for me, that that showed positive signs uh, that he would do a good tour. And, 
Yeah, you know, until his crash on thing on on the Mont du Chat, you know, he was he was re- looking really good last year. So it, it felt like there was up until that yeah disaster. Uh, there, it felt like there was going to be some progression. So it's it's quite easy to see him bettering fifth place overall. But uh, you know, so much can happen between now and then. So yeah, just a. I, I don't know what we've all gone over that crash so many times, but you know, just that one, just one little slip up, however you want to look at it, you know, can write off your whole tour. So that's why Froome is so is so good because he he manages somehow to to avoid uh, a lot of those mishaps, which you know before other tour contenders. Mm. And it's a fair point, actually. Um, I just want to come to you in a second, Rob, um, because you've been through the, all the st- stages of the tour with a fine-tooth comb. Um, the last time Chris Froome didn't uh, complete the Tour de France and did win it was uh, at the 2014 edition where Nibali won, and he went out before the cobble stage. This time there's a cobble stage again. Is that a chink in the armour of Chris Froome? Uh, Richie talked about it. He... he um... It, well, also interesting, there's a couple of things to consider. He did, he's done the Dauphiné, the, Rich has done the Dauphiné the last few years so that he could get a good preview of the Alps, and he thinks this year the Alps are, are crucial because, you know, there's key stages there, of course, there always are. But it's the first time in a while that we've seen the Pyrenees as the last mountain range, and he said that the stages there are incredibly difficult. But then he, just talking about his reconnaissance of, of the tour stages, he hadn't done every single day in the Alps, but he's done the Pyrenean stages, and he's also done stage nine, which is the day to Roubaix and he said the cobbles are fair income cobbles you know I mean that's not to say that they haven't been in the past we were, the, there was the cobbled stage in 2015 and 2014 2014 was in mud 2015 was in the dry and they were little tasters you know around 25 26 kilometers worth of cobbles but this year it's over it's about 50 kilometers worth of parve and he said it's really really nasty it's and he's of the belief that he just needs to conserve time, and I think that'll apply for all of the GC guys. But then you get a little bit of shadow boxing where Richie's saying, maybe we can even pinch a bit of time. So you can imagine that at BMC they are constructing a team where they're going to you know, try and take time in the team time trial, try to take time in the cobbled stage with guys like Van Affermart on roster. We know that, they, that it stands Richie in good stead. And, but... We don't know exactly how it's going to play out for Sky either. Like, if we do look at the last little stanza of racing, we could consider Garen Thomas a co-leader of Team Sky. Uh, he's certainly had a great Dauphiné. He won that in dominant style. He um, And he has had a history on the cobbles, so I think that if you, you're trying to sort of talk about that part of the menu of the itinerary, that uh, Garen Thomas is going to be someone to stand out of the GC guys when we go to Roubaix on Stage 9. The other name certainly has to be Vincenzo Nibali, who made up a tonne of time on that uh, 2014 stage that you mentioned there in the mud and the rain. Um, can the shark bite again? I, I don't actually rate him for the tour. I just feel um, it's... Well, yeah, as you mentioned, Jamie, you know, 2014, yeah, four, four years passed, and, and yes, he, he did a great... Giro, where he overcame Chavez, but I, I think the the caliber of riders fronting up to this year's tour and and the condition they'll be in is a different proposition. And also, sort of on the cobbles, yeah, because the cobbles were included after 2014, we know that Froome fractured his wrist before, so he was already very 
tentative, and so that precipitated his, you know, his spate of crashes the next day. So I think he's actually proven himself because the cobbles have been included in a subsequent tour, and I feel that I don't really see that as a point where the other contenders can make time on Froome, unless, yeah, he, he crashes previously and then well that applies to all the other riders i wouldn't say what i'm saying is i don't think say port or uran or Bardet is in any better than Froome on the cobbles no i think that's fairly fairly evident from the past performances um that curiously that, just mm. on that you talk about vincenzo I, mm. I mean when you look and you're talking about the discrepancies in people's predictions i think it depends on where you are in the world i mean we're obviously we're going to hone in on richie because he's our australian hope for gc and i think that he's on equal footing with quite a few other riders around the world but talking to richie his favorite or the main contender for him curiously is vincenzo nibali well, he's certainly got the pedigree, doesn't he? He's, he's got the pedigree, mm. but he hasn't done a great deal after winning Milan San Remo and then going and riding Tour of Flanders and the like this year. He had a pretty average Dauphiné. I don't really remember seeing very much. Well, of the thing is, Nibali used to be this guy who was consistent across the whole season. Then he had a sort of epiphany. He's mm. like, well, I just need to be good at the Grand Tours. And ever since he's done that, he's he's won every single Grand Tour and he's gone a lot He's gone a lot worse in the other week-long stage races using his tune-ups. I think he's in a similar position to where he's been in the last few years, and I'm expecting a similar performance. We can never rule him out. And and there are stages where his strength on the downhill, and we've talked about it in the past, is going to stand him in good stead. But um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him at the Dauphiné. Remember last year he was sort of in and out sort of of the action when he decided it was time to stop he just basically sat up and when he decided he was in with a content in contention for a stage when he'd he'd go crazy we didn't see that from him this year he basically seemed to roll around last week Mm. Mm. um we talk about the other key aspects of the tour that are going to decide gc and we're talking about time tiling kilometers including the team time trial Mm. and the kind of early mountains it's going to be a very very um mountainous second week there in particular um, how do you think, first of all, the t- team time trial and the time trialling? It's less less in terms of kilometres than we've seen in the previous years. Um, who do we think is going to be benefited by uh, the inclusion of those time trialling kilometres? Well, yeah, you just have to look at, like I said earlier, Jamie, you have to look at BMC and Sky. They're going it's, to... It's going to create a different dynamic because I think what it comes after seven... Is it the seventh stage or something like that at the at the tour? But uh, it it just means that yeah, the other riders, uh, teams like Azure Desire and um, whatever they're called now, Candale Drapak, Education First. Sorry, you know they they're going to be on the back foot, so they're going to have to ride offensively as, as a result. I, you know, I expect, you know, it was once, you know, that, that team I mentioned, Education First, they were, they were once wall beaters, you know, when they were um, in in their previous guys. But uh, I, I think now, you know, we can say that, you know, big money buys these these riders, who these ruler-type riders who can do particularly well. So, yeah, it just means, like, teams like Bardes and Uran's, um, we'll have to try and make up time because I, I'm, I'm sure they will lo- lose time on that day. And, um, Rob, you've been putting together the guide. I mean, that second week, have you ever seen anything like it? It's really concentrated 
um, quite early, and we'll see quite a lot of shake-up on the GC and quite a lot of big gaps going into that um, end of the second week there. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because there's all of the talk of the 65-kilometre uh, mountain stage in the Pyrenees, which mm. is going to be fascinating, and they're going to do a Grand Prix-style uh, seating arrangement where you are on a pole position. And uh, and that could shake things up. For the first 20 riders, I think, they get a grid position and everyone else is basically nestled in the pack. There's no neutral zone. And it is going to be a little bit of innovation at the Tour in the Pyrenees. But there's also a 108-kilometre stage in the Alps and that's finishing at altitude as well, uh, I think, Rossier. And um, I, I don't know. The, the, the first nine days are going to be quite long but you know for SBS viewers that's going to be mixed pretty much with the football world cup the stage to Roubaix comes on the eve of the first rest day and that also coincides with the football world cup final and that's going to I think impact on not necessarily the racing I think the script has been pre-written so that it can accommodate the world cup um, viewing times and there's certainly a, just for people who are planning their tour viewing be aware there are a couple of stages which finish at 350 in France rather than 530 so um, there are some earlier evenings based on on fitting in the schedule with the World Cup um, that didn't answer any of your question it's just throwing in a few no, things no it's interesting observed. facts though I like it Rob um, yeah. yeah yeah but um what was the original question <laughs> the climbing in the second week how's that going to affect things uh, yeah I, I think you know, I I'm, I'm, can't base everything that I think about the tour on what Richie's told me, but I do think the Pyrenees is going to be key. And everyone that I've spoken to who has ridden the course for the time trial on the penultimate day down near Barriots, they said, don't underestimate this. This is seriously hilly, difficult. Roman Sicard, who lives down there, has done some commentary for, for about that stage, and he's saying this is not just your typical time trial specialist. It's not like Tony Martin's going to go out and smash it. It's a GC rider's TT. And that, I guess the Marseille one last year was similar, um, but we also saw guys like Roman Bardet not coping very well at all with it, and maybe he's learned from his mistakes of not focusing on his time trialling ability. But to be frank, I've got the feeling that the TTT of Stage 3 in Cholet, the, time tri- the team time trial of about 30 kilometres, is going to be more critical to the overall result than the penultimate stage. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I sort of have a differing view just because I, if you look at the Giro's just passed, you know, it's the course sets the scene, but it doesn't make the race. The riders make the race. And what I think makes this tour really set up to be really intriguing is that, yeah, out of the top five guys, Port... Well, for mine anyway, Port, Froome, Uran, Quint- we haven't even mentioned Quintana as well, um, Bardet, you know, these, these, Uran, you know, these guys, uh, they've, aside from Port, they've all, uh, you know, and Froome who's obviously won it four times, they've all finished second. So they're not really, you know, what made the Giro so good is that they all wanted to win. They didn't want to finish you know, there was a group of guys who who, do, who wasn't who weren't interested in finishing second, and we saw that from Froome's audacious attack. You know, three days before the finish. So, uh, I think in a similar vein, you know, these guys like um, Port, and and even though Port hasn't finished on the podium, I don't think he's interested in finishing second. I think he thinks mm. he's got a really good shot of winning it. So, you, yeah, the the four contenders who are 
um, outside of Froome and, and or if you include Froome as well, they, they want to win. And I think that will make the dynamic quite spectacular as we go into that final week and particularly because of the team time trial aside from maybe Port's team okay Movistar's got a good um, squad for doing TTTs but I I just feel that it's the course uh, and the riders have been designed in a way has been set up to attack for him a lot Mm. Um, Uh, can we talk about Adam Yates at this point we're going to jump into them uh, Rob Um, I'd agree with Tony first of all it's going to be one of the best races I think we've seen in a while in from in terms of a viewing standpoint, and hopefully we can drag some viewers across from the World Cup to the Tour de France this year. Um, obviously, that's the goal of the Cycling Central um, podcast here. Um, but will we see a true battle? Because I think people will turn off if we see Team Sky just taking taking it to the front and you know going for either Grant Thomas or Chris Froome, and, and the viewers will think, OK, we've seen this before. Do we do we need um, definitely? Yeah. Do we need like the the tri headed um, movie star lineup to come in and go for it? Yeah. Well, I think. I mean, you tell me. Did the eight riders make a difference at the Giro? I, I think it was a little bit of a different dynamic. You know, it, it does change it. It just means that you can't be like. Um, like when Cadell won and they had Marcus Burkhart because he was just such a strong workhorse. I mean, Burkhart's just a fantastic teammate to have on side. Um, uh, but you can sort of put in that uh, uh, th- that larger guy, let's say, um, on a climbing team uh, who can police all of the moves and be there on the cobbles. And, and when there's one less rider to choose from, it changes the dynamic just a little bit. Not 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 enormously, but it's, it, it, it's going to be a more interesting selection process, that's a- for sure. And going to Adam Yates, who you mentioned before, with them having Caleb Ewan and Yates sort yeah. of sharing the leadership, yeah. how's that going to... I mean, it's hard to bring a team to support, you know, one GC guy, well, let alone a GC guy and a sprinter. It never really works, does mm. it? We've seen it time and time again in the past. We had Robbie and Cadell, and we've seen Eric and... Jan Ulrich <laughs> back in the day. Um, and we're going to see it again with Tom Dumoulin and, and Michael Matthews. And I don't really know what's going to come of that. But it is, Sunweb is such an organised team. And you're, I'm taken away from the Michelton Scott discussion. But um, th- there is. Um, there is always the temptation to try and chase the day to day headlines with stage wins for someone like Caleb Ewan or Michael Matthews. But then there's the bigger picture where you're talking about Adam Yates having the potential to win the Tour. I think he he could. Um, I, I don't think he's that big personality, which is probably why he's shy of the headlines, because he's not really putting himself out there as someone who could win the yellow jersey, but he's got the pedigree and those brothers just go from good to better. Um, but uh, they've got to give Caleb that shot at some point as well, don't they? So... Um, Either way, Australians have got plenty to, to, to tune in for. If you're talking about Richie or Caleb or Michael Matthews, or the, there's, and there's the, 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 even the workers are going to have an impact. Like we're going to see more of Rory Sutherland. He's never ridden the tour before, but it looks like he's going to be there as a chief domestique for uh, Dan Martin, who's also coming into form. I think it's going to be a great tour. There's a lot to talk about. And here we are on the 14th of June, basically doing our full gas tour preview. Um, but, and we haven't really discussed Dauphiné. We only touched on the fact that Richie's leading to it a Swiss. But mm. anyway. Yeah, I think the whole setup of that 
dual-pronged approach can backfire for Mitchelton and Scott and for Team Sunweb. I think, yeah, that's what the Giro showed. They need to go all in for one objective. And, uh, and they yeah, Mitchelton and Scott did that for Simon Yates at the Giro, and that's what works so well up until a couple of days to go. But, uh, and I just think... That's why they, I, I think, yeah, Mitchell and Scott have made, you know, you wrote about it, Jamie, they've made no bones about saying they want to be a GC team. So I just think that, you know, allocating too many resources to Caleb Ewan, I, I think he'll be going in, you know, this is really a kind of an experience thing. Okay, he wants to win stages, but it's, it's uh, I, I don't think you can expect him to win five stages or something. I think if he wins one, that will be a success. And then for Dumoulin at somewhere, even though it, sound, it sounds weird that he'll be going in for experience, but I think he will because he's never gone in as a leader at the Tour de France. So I just feel that... Uh, and then he's, he's just done the Giro and, and he looked pretty... Unlike Froome, he looked pretty worked over by the end of the Giro for, as far as I could see. So I don't see him performing at a super high level for three weeks at the tour. I, I don't know. I don't buy all this stuff about experience. I mean, Dumoulin's been... He's, he's been the leader at the Giro twice. He's been the leader at the Vuelta once. He's done very well in both of them. He's won stages at the tour in the past. Um, Caleb Ewan hasn't the four previous, you know, three, four seasons of his career all been about building experience so he can come to this stage and win and win races? They he's don't. still only a pup. Yeah, like, I know. I know he's been exactly. around for years, but he's mm. still only 24. No, uh, oh, 20, 27 yeah. or something. No, 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 he's no. not 27. He's like no, no, 24. No, you're getting 24. Yeah. 24, 25, we'll call it. Okay. Anyway, um, but yeah, I think that's what that's what the last three seasons of his career has been about to get to this point where he can go in and win a stage of the Tour of France. They're not there just to make up the numbers with Caleb mm. or to blood him or give him experience. They want to win stages. Yeah, or Milan. Yeah. Anyway, this feeds into the green jersey battle that we're that we're talking that we're talking about a bit more. You you had Matthews for green. I think everyone in the in everyone the, in the world everyone has in the world Sagan. has Sagan. For, and it makes could, sense. Sagan yeah. will win it. Yeah, I, I, was I, being, actually, I just had to, yeah. you know, change it. I actually looked at the course and went, it's possible that a pure sprinter could win the green jersey on this one because there aren't quite as many intermediate stages where you'll see Sagan and Matthews um, right up there taking the win at, at the exclusion of the other sprinters. I, th- But the problem is the other sprinters, for me, are too, evil, uh, too even at the moment. So, like, Gaviria, um, Ewan, Kittel, Greipel, Cavendish... I can't see one one sprinter totally no. dominating all the stages at the moment. Kittel would be the closest because he's been so good in the past at Tour de France's and the other Grand Tours, but he hasn't been amazing this season. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, how do we see that green jersey battle um, forming? Sorry, uh, Jamie, can yes. I interrupt this podcast <laughs> and just say Breaking that Tom years. Dumoulin is 27 years old? Yes. We're, we're talking we're about Caleb. Caleb. Oh, right. I thought we were talking about... Okay. Uh, continue, hang on. Continue. He's just checked the Google and he's come up with an answer that we weren't even asking the question for. Oh, okay. For. I thought we... <laughs> you've won the argument for... You've won the argument I won, we won't I won a moot argument. <laughs> uh, um, I did the Tour de France by myself last year and I had two arguments and they were both with myself, so I stopped them pretty quickly and I think Anthony's <laughs> just gone through a similar process. Yeah, okay. I, I, I won my argument that wasn't an argument. <laughs> Anyway, getting this back on, on, on track, guys, green jersey battle. What, green. What's going to happen, Rob? Tell uh, us right now, please. Well, <laughs> I think the, the interesting 
difference is going to be Gavaria because he's just so fast, he's so talented, he's, we just don't know what to expect from him. The team basically should be built around him. Uh, that's quick step floors. And so I think he's an interesting mix to the equation. Uh, but I think Sagan, that there's enough sprint stages and uh, there's enough... Uh, catalyst for him to be chasing points at intermediates like he's done in the past. There's a new rule that's being introduced. It's called the bonus point, and it comes about 15 kilometres from the finish of the opening nine stages. And there's no points on offer. It's a bonus point for sprinters or whoever's up the road to claim time bonuses. So it's a the the the, the thinking behind it is to try and um, evoke a little bit of uh, interest from the sprinters before just doing the lead out for the finish and try and get them to split up some time bonuses and get some some yellow jersey time. Uh, how that plays into the broader scheme of who's going to win the green jersey, I don't think it's going to factor that much. I think it's still going to be Sagan versus Michael Matthews versus Gavaria. And, you know, like, Kittel's going to be in the mix, but then I'm sort of going to throw my patriotic card in as or parochial card in and say that I'd like to see Nathan Hass up in the top five as well. I don't see why he wouldn't be chase, chasing the points where Matthews and Sagan do, even though Nathan's going to be doing the work for Kittel. Will Kittel reach the finish? Well, the thing is, you've got to be up there in the bunch sprints as well, and Nathan's not going to be up in, up in the bunch sprints because he's, no, the, the he's doing the train work. That's for, it. That's it. So you have then, let's throw in Dylan Groenewegen. Oh, yeah. Good youngster there. He's he's right up there with Gavirier and uh, Ewan in terms of the young sprinting cadre. Uh, Tanny? Yes, I think Gaviria, for me, he's he's going to give Sagan the, he, he's a run for his money. I see him as the his uh, greatest rival. It, it's interesting because they haven't raced uh, against each other that much, so it's it's hard to say how... This battle's going, and and if you look at the, if you just going back to the GC, they're they're all riding such different programs these days. I mean, if you look at the GC guys, they're they're doing you know thirty days or less leading up to the tour. It's it's not much, and then some. They're often riding different programs, so it's for me it's hard to say. You can only just go off what I've seen, and yeah, what from what I've seen of Gaviria, you know, he's he's. Like Rob said, he's so, he's so fast, he's so damn strong, and but so is Sagan, and Sagan has has the experience of being at at the tour in, in that position, and I think that's what will clinch him another green jersey. Okay, well, I think that should halt our discussion on the Tour de France for the moment, but we'll come <laughs> back after the break with more discussion about the local cycling scene. Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Okay, and we're back, and we'll talk a bit about the local cycling scene. And there was, uh, 
don't know. It's it's a mixture of news um, in the Australian cycling team, the track team, which will be going forward to the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Um, there's been a few riders uh, ejected from that team. Uh, probably most notably is Rebecca Wyzak, the two-time world individual pursuit champion, Jordan Kirby, who set the world record in and the second fastest time ever, wasn't it? Or was it the... Anyway, it can't be the world record and the second fastest time. <laughs> One of the two I'll, he, I'll, in the I'll individual in. in the individual pursuit. Uh, Rowan White, um, who'd he'd already hung up the bike from what I've heard, and Nick Yaluris, who was a, a pretty important member of that team pursuit squad team. Um, in comes Lee Howard, Christina Clonan, and Macy Stewart. Um, Rob, you've been publishing on this topic. Um, mm. And there was quite a lot of feedback on on your it comment board. As really, well. yeah. it you think that people aren't that interested in track cycling, and then something like this pops up. And, that, and that, one of the good things about it is that it got people talking about track cycling. If that's a good thing, I think it is. I think people should be using using the velodrome wherever they can. Um, and I mean, I had some contact with Jordan Kirby on the day of the announcement. He was dreadfully upset. He actually went in and had four wisdom teeth removed. And as soon as he got because out, because of the news, yeah, yeah, just Gee, he didn't even need them removed. He was just like, oh well, that was a, made me feel pretty miserable. I'll now, now go and make myself physically ill. And um, <laughs> he got off the general anaesthetic and he called me and we talked about it. And he was surprisingly articulate for someone who'd just been through what he'd been through at the dentist. But um, he's doesn't want to finish riding his bike, and he wasn't expecting it. It was completely um, out of the blue for, for Jordan and Rebecca and everyone, and I've had contact with a couple of them. and spoke. I haven't spoken with Rowan, so I don't know his take on things. I know Nick Yaluris is stranded in the UK. He's living in a house on his own. He's gone to join a team over that was set up by Simon Jones, uh, who's the, 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 the head of the high-performance program, or what's now called the Australian Cycling Team. And so Nick turns up in the UK in May. He gets a, a team. The idea was for him to race some crits and get some good hard summer miles in and then come back in September ready to hit the track again and do what he does so well. I mean, here's a kid who's done a 101 kilometre. He's a superstar. He's been a world champion in the team pursuit. He's sent overseas to, 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 to fine-tune his cycling uh, capabilities. And then... Not long after he lands there, he gets a phone call, by the way, we're finished with you. Thanks very much. Pack your bags. We haven't got you a return airfare, but you, we don't know what we're actually going to do with you, but you're off the team. And, oh, by the way, there's support for you. There is a support mechanism. Here's some numbers that you'll call and some people will write and be in touch. Now, Simon Jones hasn't been in touch with Nick Yaluris. Jordan Kirby made it pretty clear that he had spoken to Simon Jones about it. The phone calls were made by Tim Decker, um, to actually alert them of the fact, and there's been contact subsequently from other members of the Cycling Australia family. Um, I know that we talk a lot about the well-being of people and athlete well-being, and it needs to be a big part of what's going on at the moment because uh, I think they need to be very careful with someone like Nick because he's just been, you know, he, he thought he had a career through to at least the Tokyo Games and that's just the carpet's been pulled out from under his feet mm. and he's standing there not sure which direction to go he's a bit lost and well, the press release states that they're trying to give some some after after school care no some some after athlete care to these people but they're basically also saying you're no longer an athlete yeah well that, that's the point that's the point with this track cycling it's very much do or die because if you're not in the team you're not getting any support and there's not like you can go back and, and race professional track cycling because that, that scene doesn't really exist outside of like 
the six days for a month or two at the end of the road cycling season. No. So it, it's really a... I mean, it's going to be the end of some of these cyclists' careers from here. Um, I, and I hate, I hate to say it, Jordan Kirby's got to ride with the local domestic team on the road, and he's an absolute beast. I'm sure he could go to a pro Conti team if he wanted to. Um, but Rebecca Wysak, I mean, she's 33 now. Um, what, what does she do from here? She's Well, she's in limbo land, completely yeah. in limbo land. They were, up until last Monday, they thought that they were part of the Tokyo squad, at least the long squad, you know. I mean, that's a, and then suddenly it's, it's all completely different. And Cycling Australia calls and they say, but Rob, why don't you talk about Macy Stewart coming back to the program? We can get to that. There's a couple of years now that she's on the roster. Apparently, you know, we'll we'll talk about Macy, but and and I do think that there's some good feel good stories, and we shouldn't ignore those. But at the same time, we can't take, we can't just sort of accept that these four have just been flicked mid season, no notice, very little like, and 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 only the promise of support. Like, mm. I, I, my, when, my, when, I really feel for sh- them. When should when should they be notified? You know, uh, you know, it's it's now. What are we? Two, two, uh, June two thousand and eighteen. So uh, two years out. So is is it? Isn't it better to make that cut now rather than? Shouldn't there be a process in place where out? they say, right, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the twenty eighteen season and we'll make a, a judgment call in September or whatever. Instead, there's just a random phone call in June. Well, no they, one was expecting. I mean, they do have contracts, and they do know when their contracts are up. So yeah. they, they know that these are sub, subject to review. Yeah, so it's I, not completely out of the blue. But I agree that there could be some, there could be better explanations around these things as well. Um, I read in your piece, Rob, that Jordan was told that we don't think you're going to improve into Tokyo 2020. Yeah. And I'm like, does Jordan Kirby really need to improve? He is a phenomenal athlete. Mm-hmm. You, when you see him in person, when you see him riding amongst other um, cyclists, he's a step above. And I'm not sure that he 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 necessarily got um, proper justification for the decision that was made. I, I, my feeling is that they have. I mean, they haven't spelled it out, but I would say that they don't think that he can sit the wheel like he needs to, and that he doesn't fit into the team pursuit format like he probably ought to. And there are guys like Sam Wellsford and those who are, who are beasts on the bike and 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 ride a great team pursuit. And if the problem for Jordan is that they they don't think that he fits into the formation, they have to say that. Don't just dance around the topic. Come out, tell us the truth. Don't. I want Simon. Simon Jones has offered a couple of little comments here and there, but he largely just sits in the background and lets the other people do the dirty work when he's in fact guiding the ship. And I, there's that many people I'll, I'll, involved. I'll, I'll disagree a tiny bit there, Rob, because he's been he's been happy to chat with me when I've asked for a comment. On, well, he on refuses to speak to me, so okay. I mean that's a bit difficult for me to make a comment about someone who refuses to speak to me. Okay. And it's because I said that it was embarrassment that they only sent four athletes to the World Championships. And he sat there like a child looking at me saying, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You, you said I was embarrassing. Anyway, that was January. We're in June. We'll move on. But my, my feelings for Simon Jones uh, are like they were all along. I think that he's been brought into a difficult position. He has to manage a remit that doesn't seem fair to me. I don't understand the obsession with the Olympics. It's an old theme for me. People are sick of hearing me talk about it, so I'll shut up. I I just feel that, yeah, we talk about looking after the athletes when they've been cut. I think there needs to be some sort of, uh, I don't know, counselling or education to also understand the just in general the brutality of elite sport because 
what about those guys who spend most of the year pre- prepping for thinking they're on the tour team and they get cut and, mm. and but- their their season's gone awry. So it's not just in trackside. It's 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 the nature of elite sport. I'm not saying they should be left high and dry and then left to counsel themselves. But you know this they need to be. This is. Sport is a microcosm of life, and in life, not everything goes smoothly. You often get cut from things like jobs and so forth, being found redundant. I mean, there's no counselling offered there. You know, you have to seek out your own sort of um, salvation, if you like. So it's it's more for I, I think yeah, it's 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 part of athletes understanding they they can't just be. Um, you know, housed in cotton wool for their whole lives. That's just not how life works. And I think it's perhaps a good lesson to learn that, yeah, just because you're strong and you're fast doesn't mean you always stay on the team. There might be reasons. What I will agree with, Rob, is that, yeah, they need to say exactly what those reasons are, why they have been cut, because then people can understand, oh, okay, it's 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 for this reason. Mm. Well, congratulations to the riders who did make it onto the team, obviously. Uh, Christina Clonan, Macy Stewart Absolutely. and Lee, Lee Howard. Um, I mean, they are very good athletes in, in their own right and up-and-comers, especially in, amongst the women there. You know, Christina Clonan and Macy Stewart have been knocking on the door for ages and taking some really good results, so that is very much deserved. OK, final final uh, thoughts before we, we leave this podcast for this week. Uh, Rob? Everyone's been used to the, the Christophe Mayet nice 30-minute pods and we go for, what, 50 minutes. But, um, final thoughts? Go on, Raj Bark. Sun's shining. It might be raining once in a while, but get out there anyway. It's been um, a busy time for me and I've got a couple of weeks before the tour and I can't wait to ride my bike a little bit in that time. I'll say don't don't worry about this whole Froome doping case. Just enjoy the tour for what it is. Just enjoy it for uh, the spectacle and then you'll have a good time. It's, it's funny advice coming from a critic, isn't it, Tony? I mean, enjoy it in the moment and don't look back. And I, I think just look at it as a, I mean, because you can't, you can't do anything about it. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's there's no point, and there's no point looking at forums and so forth saying so, someone knows exactly what's going on. The only person who knows what's going on probably is Chris Froome, his wife, and maybe Dave Brailsford, and and anyone who claims that they know he's on this or that is probably lying. Okay, and we'll be putting you back into the... Uh, very competent hands of Christophe Mallet uh, next week, or next fortnight rather, just before the Tour de France. Obviously he's been doing very good work over in France at the moment, uh, took, getting that uh, interview, that scoop with uh, Christian Proudhomme recently. But it's bye from us in Sydney for the moment, and we shall see you soon.